Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 69. Thanks for listening. Hello again everybody. As I record this, not as you're hearing it, but as I record this, it is Mother's Day. Yay moms! You're hearing this uh, a week at least after that. Hopefully your moms have recovered from the massive outpouring of appreciation that you showed to them because you did appreciate your moms on Mother's Day, didn't you? If you didn't, it's not too late. Moms will take appreciation whenever they can get it. Today's episode sponsored by Moms. Alright, in other news, uh, let's see. Let's go to Science Corner. I read uh, an article that blew my mind today. The headline, maybe it was just the headline that blew my mind. The rest of the article probably just made me scratch my head which surrounds the mind that was blown. The headline of the article was, Scientists show future events decide what happens in the past. Basically what happened was, uh, some Australian scientists did an experiment that proves what happens to particles in the past is only decided when they are observed and measured in the future. Until such time, reality is just an abstraction. I would say that's even more true now in the post-Trump election world. Alternative facts and all of that. Quantum physics studies subatomic particles, which are the essential building blocks of reality. All matter, including ourselves, are made up of them. But the laws governing the tiny microscopic world seem to be different to those dictating how larger objects behave in our own macroscopic reality. At the quantum level, one thing can be two different things simultaneously and be at two different places at the same time. Man, the more I read of this, the more I'm certain that Trump's people must be loving this finding, if they can actually understand it. Two particles can be entangled, and when one changes its state, the other will also do so immediately, even if they are at opposite ends of the universe, seemingly acting faster than the speed of light. Particles can tunnel through solid objects, which they compare to like a ghost passing through a wall, and scientists now believe that they have shown that what happens to a particle now isn't governed by what happened to it in the past, but by what state it is in in the future, meaning that at the subatomic level, time goes backwards. And, like I said, subatomic particles are the basic building blocks of reality, which includes us. Which means that right now, subatomic particles that make up your body are doing this whole being changed by the past thing. Einstein knew this. He thought it was a spooky idea. Niels Bohr, a pioneer of quantum theory, once said, If quantum mechanics hasn't profoundly shocked you, you haven't understood it yet. And then this article that I read, uh, which, by the way, if you want to read this, because it is really interesting, I was at digitaljournal.com. So... In summary, what happens in the future decides what happens in the past. Now, I really didn't need scientists to tell me this. And for one thing, we've got sort of the whole alternative facts are a thing now. But I think we've already known this for generations, right? Because let's face it, history books now are written by white men primarily. And they decide what goes in those books. So I think we've already kind of known that how we see the past is not necessarily how the past happened, but how we decide to see it now. Um, Okay, so Science Corner was a little more political than I intended it, but it is still a fascinating article. Um, Especially in this era, here's one more political thing, I guess. In this era where science is politicized, where science is um, viewed as some sort of a con by some people, where science is seen as not based in fact, but based in opinion, and the reality of science is somehow considered to be subjective. So, I'm not a scientist, but whatever I can do to once in a while mention, hey, 
Science is not scary. Science is not politics. Science is facts and trying to understand the world. So, there you go. I thought this was interesting. Thus concludes Science Corner. Alright, let's move on to this week's game, which is decidedly not scientific at all. Uh, Maybe I'll take that back. There might be a little science involved in the way depth charges move, I guess, in aiming your shots to blow stuff up. If you haven't guessed already, or, you know, if you didn't read the title of the episode when you downloaded it, we're playing this week Canyon Bomber, a 1978 game from Atari. We're using the paddles for this one. It's a little weird, I think, because you plug the, the paddle in, and you've got a left paddle and a right paddle. Typically, and you're plugging into the left port on the Atari, right? That's pretty typical. But you're not using the left paddle, you're using the right paddle, which I thought was weird. But that may just be me. As far as using the controller, there are two different types of games in Canyon Bomber. One of them are Canyon Bomber games, the other are Sea Bomber games. Not sea as in canyon, but sea as in the ocean. For Canyon Bomber games, you press the red button on the paddle. All these instruction manuals say press the red button when they're talking about the paddle, or the joystick for that matter. It's not a red button. It's, at best, a reddish-orange. It's kind of the general lee. It's not really red. It's not really orange. I guess it's kind of red? Nah, it's reddish-orange. There, I've settled that debate for you. Um, For Canyon Bomber games, press the red button, quote-unquote red button, on the paddle controller to drop your bombs from the plane into the canyon. The knob on the controller is inoperable during Canyon Bomber games. More on that later. For C-Bomber games, turn the knob on the controller to move the dashed depth indicator up and down the playfield. This sets the depth at which the charge explodes. Press the red button on the controller to release the bomb. I don't know if I mentioned this in the field report. You know, spoiler, I've already done the field report. I had a little trouble with the game. Here, I'm, I'm just going to let I'm making excuses, but I had a little trouble with the game because I have a really old set of paddles, and they just don't work very well. The knob doesn't work all that well. So I had a little trouble moving the depth indicator where I wanted it to go, when I wanted it to go there. I mean, consider this. One of my two paddles makes a noise like this. And I gotta tell you, I'm no tacky, but that just doesn't seem normal to me. So I was playing a little bit hamstrung today, but you know what? I powered through it because I'm a professional podcaster, and I love you people. To begin play, to choose the game you wish to play, to press the game select switch. The number for each game is displayed in the upper left corner of the screen. To start a game, depress the game reset switch. Uh, in position, difficulty switch in position A, when it's in position A, you have to wait until a bomb runs its course before firing again. Slide the switch to position B, and suddenly, you are allowed to recover and refire your bomb by pressing the red fire button. Hey, that's kind of one of those things where the future is deciding what happened in the past, right? Uh, you drop your bomb, it doesn't go where you want it to go, but before, so before it lands, you recall it, you drop it again. You have changed the past by what you did in the future. Holy cow, I just blew my own mind with some quantum physics that I wasn't even planning to drop in there. You're very welcome. Once you have picked your jaw up off the floor and shoved your brains back into your ears, you may start listening again. Doing this enables you to reshoot a bad shot or to fire at a different target if the original target is hit by your opponent. There is no limit to the number of times you can recover and refire a bomb while your plane is making one run across the screen. Also in the B position, the computer plays on a more skillful level, and therefore would be more difficult to beat. Jerk. Canyon Bomber Scoring. In one-player Canyon Bomber games, you compete against the computer for a higher score. A miss is recorded each time you fail to hit a target in the canyon. 
A miss is also recorded if your plane travels across the canyon without dropping a bomb. I really kind of want to do, for no apparent reason, a Muppet movie. Oh, miss! Miss! It's a miss! No, no, I said myth, not miss. Joke. That probably sounded stupid to you. Uh, one, because I messed it up. And two, if you've never seen the Muppet movie, the original one from the 1970s, it made no sense to you. Suffice it to say, thinking of that joke makes me laugh. So I'm going to take a moment here to laugh to myself. Okay, moving on. Okay, so in one-player canyon bomber games, you compete against the computer for a higher score. A miss is recorded each time you fail to hit a target in the canyon. A miss is also recorded if, you, if your plane travels across the canyon without dropping a bomb. There are eight bars of bricks which extend across the canyon. Each brick in the first two bars is worth one point each. The bricks in the third and fourth bars are worth two points each. In the fifth and sixth bars, the bricks are worth three points each, and the bricks in the last or bottom two bars are worth four points each. In one-player games, play continues until six misses are recorded against you, or... You or the computer scores a thousand points in a game with unlimited bombs. In two-player canyon bomber games, game, uh, play continues until both players miss six times in games with limited bombs. One player scores a thousand points in games with unlimited bombs. If all of the bricks in the canyon are eliminated, a new canyon appears on the screen and play continues. Sea bomber scoring. In both sea bomber games, play ends when you, another player, or the computer score a thousand points. There are five levels at which you score points when blowing up ships. Uh, that reminds me. In the field report, I declared at the end, okay, I lost, and I gave you a score. I, I realized later that the game wasn't actually over yet, and I didn't make that clear in the field report. So don't write to me and say, hey, nobody had a thousand points. I get it now. Uh, I wasn't paying that close of attention, frankly, at the time, and I felt like the field report had gone on long enough, and you guys had gotten what you needed to get out of that. So that's my preemptive, preemptive correction. The lower the ship on the screen, the more points you score. Point values for the five levels are 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60 points. In all games in this game program, the object is to score 1,000 points, or to have the highest score when the game ends, after six misses are recorded. The manual then goes on to kind of break down a little more detail, games 1 through 7? 1 through 8. Like I said, games uh, 1 through 6 are canyon bomber games. Some are one-player, some are two-player, uh, and the last two games are sea bomber games. Um, the variations, the variations don't really vary all that much. In some of the games, the bricks remain suspended instead of falling to a lower level. In other games, it's not like that. In some games, with the bricks, the bombs stay at a certain level and just blow up the stuff around them. In other games, they drop down to another level. You know, fundamentally, the gameplay is the same for all of them. The two sea bomber games are exactly alike, except one of them you're playing against the computer and one you're playing against an opponent, a living breathing person while you know humans still exist in the world and computers haven't taken over yet so all right that is how you play canyon bomber canyon bomber was designed for atari by howard delman came out in 1978 canyon bomber was a black and white 1978 arcade game developed and published by atari came in an upright cabinet it was rewritten in color and with a different visual style for the atari 2600 actually 1979 i said earlier that it was an atari game from 78 and it is but now i'm making it clear that was the arcade version. The cartridge uh, for the Atari console came out in 79. The home console port was developed uh, for the Atari 2600 by then Atari employee David Crane. The Atari 2600 version used solid bricks rather than round rocks, and instead of visible point values, each layer of bricks had a color corresponding to its worth. Canyon Bomber was made available on Microsoft's Game Room service for its Xbox 360 console and for Windows-based PCs in May 2010. Okay, so after the break, 
We're going to bomb, 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 bomb Atari. In a few minutes, there will be a knock at the door uh, from the NSA about that comment I just made. So hopefully I'll be able to finish this episode first. Tune in to find out after the break. splintered world we live in, it's nice to know that we're still united by a few things. One of those things is the desire to blow things up. Thankfully, we have games like Canyon Bomber to help us fulfill our destiny for wanton destruction. Bombs away! So, I'm starting with uh, game one, one player game, using the paddle. It's a Canyon Bomber game. Here we go! really nothing to this game, right? You can't control the flight of your plane. You don't get to even pick what plane you're using. You can't blow up your opponent. You're basically just in a race to see which, to see whether you or your friend has the faster thump. Um, it's pretty repetitive. That noise gets pretty annoying pretty quickly. Um, the graphics look good, I guess. I mean, I know those are planes. I can tell that's supposed to be a valley or a canyon or something. I'm not really sure how realistic it is. Um, you know, your environment is filled with colors not really found in nature, and you're blowing up a canyon full of bricks, I guess. Hardly seems like high-value military target, but, you know, I'm just a soldier. I do what I'm supposed to do, I guess. So, the canyon bomber games are pretty simplistic, right? So let's try a sea bomber game. I'll go with game seven. You got a bunch of battleship type looking ocean drawing vessels. Um, we're in our helicopters. And I'm dropping my depth charges. I like that the sea bomber games add the extra element of being able to have some control over where your bombs go. You're pushing the, the button to, to launch them, of course, but you have some measure with that, you know, uh, level uh, control, turning the knob to adjust the level of the bomb. You can, there's some strategy involved uh, in placing your, your shots. So that adds a little extra element to the game. Again, it looks good. I can tell I'm on the water. These are boats. Uh, it'd be nice if you could pick the plane that you were flying. It'd be nice if you could battle your opponent at the same time trying to get the depth charges uh, launched. But, you know, I get it. It was a 1978 game. They were a little limited. I could see myself spending more time playing the Sea Bomber games than the Canyon Bomber. losing the computer now. When I was practicing before I started recording, I was beating the computer.
and I lost. 550 to 350. Damn you, computer! Someday, when the computer overlords take over the world, they're going to remember I said that today. And I'm going to be the first one eliminated as a human virus infecting the planet. So, let this be my farewell in advance, I guess. Back to you in the studio. One of my favorite Activision games, and we love us some Activision here on Atari Bytes, uh, is River Raid. River Raid, of course, didn't come out until uh, sometime after Canyon Bomber, but it's hard not to get a big uh, River Raid vibe playing Canyon Bomber. Uh, I think River Raid is a superior game, but the fundamental idea, fundamental idea is the same, right? You're flying a plane over your enemy targets and dropping bombs on them. There's a little bit more going on in River Raid, but I like that it's in that sort of family of games. Um, it's very classic. I can totally see playing a game like this in the arcade at that time. Um, and yeah, I made some critical comments in the field report about the limitations of a 1978 or 79 game. But, you know, ultimately, it's fun. It's not anything I would spend an afternoon playing, but it's not bad. I've certainly played worse games for the show. Looking at you, Amadar. But, you know, I'll give it a thumbs up to the extent that I, I give ratings on this show. But, of course, we want to know. It's not enough for us to know that we're bombing the crap out of this canyon. We want to know why are we bombing the crap out of this canyon? And where do we get all these bombs? And why are we so good at bombing things? Well, if you want to bomb stuff, who do you go to? Obviously, the answer is Crazy Harry. Crazy Harry was the pyrotechnic expert on The Muppet Show. He was a crazy-looking guy with wild eyes and a crazy laugh. And he his whole thing on the show was blowing stuff up. Uh, right? He was one of the, the, the original Muppet Show Muppets. He was performed by Jerry Nelson from 77 to 2003 and by Matt Vogel from 2008 uh, to the present. Sometimes he did things other than blow stuff up. He also played the triangle bell in the Muppet Orchestra during the first season opening and closing and in the second clo season closing. This Wikipedia article says that his finest hour may well have been in episode 306, accompanying Gene Stapleton on the Explodophone for a particularly frantic rendition of I'm just wild about Harry. Often when a character mentioned an explosion-related word, Crazy Harry would appear and say, Did somebody say explosion-related word? And cause an explosion. He originally appeared on The Muppets' Valentine Show as Crazy Donald, a reference to Muppet builder Don Salen, who enjoyed creating the Muppets' special effects explosions. His name was changed to Crazy Harry in a second appearance, The Muppet Show, Sex and Violence. His film appearances have included, amongst others, The Muppet Movie as the special effects expert, The Great Muppet Caper as a resident of the Happiness Hotel. Uh, side note, The Muppet Movie, the original one, and The Great Muppet Caper are awesome. Man, I'm going to go watch those right now. All right, show's over. Talk to you later. All right, just kidding. I'll wait till the show's actually over. But go watch those two movies. They're great. He was also in the Muppet State Manhattan uh, in the wedding scene. Uh, he was in Muppets from Space at the beach and Muppets Wizard of Oz as one of the flying monkeys. He was in the Muppets, you know, the, the Jason Siegel Muppets, which also is a, a very good movie. He was in the, at one point in the Muppets, he uses explosives to carve his head into Mount Rushmore. And most recently, he was in Muppets Most Wanted, where he set off explosions during Christoph Waltz's number. He appeared in the Stars and Stripes Forever online video and A Muppet Christmas, Letters to Santa. 
In the UK's Muppet Show Annual 1977, Crazy Harry is referred to as Mad Harry. In 2007, when asked about Crazy Harry's lack of appearances in recent years, Jim Lewis replied, A combination of things. First, Jerry Nelson performs Crazy Harry, and his availability is one factor. Second, Crazy Harry is always punctuation, so the scene has to fit his personality and his unique talent for blowing things up. Well, that's all well and fine, uh, Jim Lewis, but we don't think that Crazy Harry should be put in a box like that. We think Crazy Harry has tons to offer popular culture, has has earned a place on television, a, a regular home that he could probably blow up. And speaking of homes, that's why we gave Crazy Harry a cable house flipping show. You know, all the kids love those shows where they buy and sell houses, on what where you watch people buy and sell houses. Crazy Harry's show was called Blow Up My Bungalow. Hi, everybody. This week on Blow Up My Bungalow, our quest to find homes that blow people's socks off has led us down to a canyon. Which canyon? Who cares? They all look the same when they're reduced to rubble, Jane says. Um, what? Hey, look, that's our new friend Jane. Don't worry, the place we find for you will be a blockbuster. Did somebody say blockbuster? Hit the dirt! Jane works in advertising, and her husband, Blaine, owns a fireworks distribution center. They're using the money from the raise Blaine just got to upgrade their home. Guess he was doing a bang-up job. Did somebody say bang? So, Jane and Blaine, what sort of home are you looking for? Jane wants lots of wide open spaces. Blaine concurs, the widest of open spaces. To which Harry responds, I think that can be arranged. Jane adds, ooh, and I want a big island in the kitchen. Blaine agrees and adds, a killer backsplash would be dynamite. Did somebody say dynamite? <laughs> Insert audio. Did somebody say dynamite? What do you think of this four-bedroom open floor plan split-level duplex vintage modern colonial? Blaine is not convinced. There's no skylight. Jane adds, yeah, we need a skylight, you know, so we can drink in this beautiful canyon. A skylight, huh? That can be arranged. Well, Jane and Blaine, maybe canyon life isn't for you. Here, how about something with an ocean view? out about a gallon of seawater. Dang, this is super stressful. I need a drink. Let's knock off house hunting for the day and go get some depth charges. Did you say? No! <laughs> Our two weary house hunters wearily wring seawater from 
well, everything. And Jane says, maybe we'll just go get one of those tiny houses that cable TV tells us everybody wants. Ooh, you want your house to be tiny? Well, okay. <laughs> Tune in to Blow Up My Bungalow next week for a special crossover episode with a brand new series called What Terrorism Watch List is Harry on Now? And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are at ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. And please do. Uh, I like hearing from you guys. What do you like about the show? What aren't you so crazy about? What do you think about the games? What do you think about quantum physics? Donuts? Favorite pasta? You know, whatever's on your mind, uh, drop me a line. You can like the show on our Facebook page, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. You can find the show, as you guys know, because you did, on various podcatchers. Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and of course, iTunes. Please drop your critique depth charge into the iTunes C and leave a review. Please also consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, the store right now is called capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. And don't forget, we have new shirts there. Uh, go play some old games. They've missed you shirts. Great for anybody who likes games, or anybody who likes shirts. And if you have the time, please go check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. For all your Charlie Brown and Snoopy needs, new episodes of that show drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Star Raiders. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Yeah.